So, Kevin, we officially recorded our first podcast episode. What do you think about that? Pretty exciting. It is pretty exciting. You sound very excited. It was so exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, we're going to start doing just little intros here. We'll keep them short. Um, just kind of keep you guys updated on what we're doing with the podcast and all that good stuff. Uh, I really, I think our first podcast was a success. I, From what I've heard, I've got good feedback from most people, and I want to keep going with it for sure. Um, we're currently building a legit studio right now. We're recording in a garage, so the sound is not quite where we want it to be. And we literally just came in from building that. And so that's been fun. It was, a uh, hard getting into a rhythm on the first podcast. Um, I think that'll become a lot more intuitive as time goes on and maybe we'll be able to be more inter- better at interacting, especially me with, uh, our guests. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right, and both of us have. I mean, we're both brand new to this, so we have some uh, learning to do, and I think we'll just keep getting better with time. Same with the audio aspect of it and every aspect of it. Um, one thing, you guys that are listening to this, if you want to follow along with us, we have an Instagram page. It's at Mission Prep Podcast, and there you can find new episodes. Um, who our guest is. Uh, we'll keep you updated on what's going on with the podcast. We've got a couple pictures up of the studio build, and we'll continue to post those until it's done. Uh, so if you want to follow us there, that's a good place to follow along. And, yeah, we look forward to bringing you guys more of these. So anything else, Kevin? Nope. All right, then. Let's get into it. <laughs> Episode 2, Mission Prep Podcast. Our guest today is a former professional fighter, a current professional father and coach. He owns The Pit, Idaho. It's a martial arts gym, and his name is Cruz Gomez. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. So, Cruz, I've known now for couple years uh he was my jiu-jitsu coach and he's been my children's coach and he was kevin's jiu-jitsu coach as well and i will be your jiu-jitsu coach he will continue to be as soon as i get back to the gym uh yeah so uh, i've known him for about two years and he's a good guy an interesting guy and i wanted to get him on let you guys meet him so uh let's go all the way back to the beginning where were you born Oh man, I was born in uh, Templeton, California, but I, we didn't stay there long. Well, actually, I don't know how long we stayed there. I was uh, an Air Force brat for a while. And did you grow up all throughout your life in California? Uh, most of it. Um, I think I was five or six. I don't really remember. I was, I was young, um, or even before then. I might have. We started bouncing around. I uh, lived all over the country. I uh, lived in the Azores, Panama. Um, just like I said, I was an Air Force brat, so we bounced all over the place. And then when I was in third grade, we came back to California to the family house. Do you have siblings? Yes. I have a sister and four brothers. So what were the, uh, age discrepancies between the kids? Were they a lot older than you or younger? Uh, yeah, they were pretty spread out, but I mean, it's between a few different people. So like before my dad... My mom had two kids. I don't, I, the, the sister, I don't really know her. I met her once or twice, I've talked to her once or twice through like Facebook Messenger. And I think she's older than my oldest brother. But my oldest brother's eight years older than me. Then my older brother is four. Then there's me. And then my half brother, Adam, he's, I think, 30, maybe a little bit older. And then my youngest brother, Julian, is 28. Oh, wow. And so was it kind of like a – was it a family thing or was it you kind of like the sole, you know, kid who got into martial arts? Um, growing up, me and my older brother, Ramon, he's the one that's four years older than me, we were always put in taekwondo. So with as much as we moved around, I made it to yellow belt three different times and then kind of just fell off. We stopped doing it. Uh, in California, and then later on, when I was 18, is when I found it again with my friends. Oh, okay. Was there anything 
specifically that made you want to get back into it? Yes, my friends. I didn't want to do it. And then you turned it into a career? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, what happened? Like, all my friends and a couple cousins, they all liked to fight. And there was like eight or nine of us. And almost every single one of them loved to fight. I hated it. I didn't like the training. We'd, uh, about 94, 95, when the UFC, right after the UFC came out, we started watching it. So we'd go and rent the tapes and uh, try to copy the jiu-jitsu moves and stuff like that. And we did that for years. And we'd have, hold our own tournaments and uh, we'd box and do jiu-jitsu. And so it wasn't like the typical bar- backyard brawl stuff. It was, we were trying to do legit technique minus the pure legitimacy of it because we were learning off videotapes. Um, and then when we were 18, one of my buddies came home and was like, hey, I found this gym. It'll teach us how to fight like the UFC. So nine of us joined and I reluctantly joined with them and me and only one other guy stuck it out after the first month and then after the first year it was just me that was there still oh wow i remember you telling me that back when i first started doing jujitsu was that you were never even a big fan of fighting or anything you just kind of fell into it and excelled at it (laughs) peer pressure is a hell of a thing yeah it, (laughs) it is um so was the first gym you went to, was that the pit? Uh, yes and no. Uh, the story behind that is at one point, Chuck and John had a falling out. I don't know about what. That was before my time, above my pay grade, so I don't even ask. But uh, at that point, Chuck started his gym. And being from San Luis, or being in San Luis Obispo at the time, and most places there being called Slow, whatever, S-L-O, uh, he started the gym slow kickboxing. Okay. Um, and that's Chuck Liddell for everybody listening that does not know which Chuck he was talking about. So he started that in January of, I think, 98. And then in February of 98, one it was literally one month after. It was the 11th. So he he opened January 11th. I, I started February 11th of 98. And then... We were there. I was with him, and I fought maybe about 20-some-odd times between then and 2001. And then at some point in 2001, we joined back with John. And that's when we I officially joined the pit. Gotcha. Wow. Um, that's one thing I was going to ask you about. How long were you training before you took a fight, your first fight? <laughs> uh, man, we were thrown to the wolves back then. Um, it probably would have been sooner if we had more to go to, but I think it was 14 months or so. Oh, wow. And that was with virtually no experience before. I mean, other than you. Yeah, I went, I went and got beat up twice in one day. It was a four man tournament and one of the guys didn't show up and I went in. Luckily the first guy that beat me, he was a wrestler. So he just took me down Mm -hmm. and, uh, he caught me in something. I don't remember what it was. Um, like I, I'd only been doing jujitsu at that point, so I didn't, I wasn't really a striker at all. Mm-hmm. And I lost that one. I'm just like, okay, whatever. It's a loss. Maybe I'll do it again. Maybe I won't, whatever. And then the promoter came up to Scott Adams, who was my coach at the time, uh, the, the guy that started the WEC. He's like, hey, did you guy want to fight again? Our fourth guy didn't show up. I was like, yes, I get redemption. Let's do this. <laughs> and I lost again. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's crazy to me to think back in those days, you guys were fighting multiple times a night. And I mean, uh, the toll that probably took on your body, I can imagine. Yeah. It's pretty rough. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty beat up. I think I was uh, 30 when one of the times I went to the doctor just to get a physical done because I had to do it for my fights and stuff every six months. And he told me basically my joints were approximately the age of or is approximately about as good as a 50 year old's joints Dang. because of how many times i've had everything dislocated i've popped both shoulders out knees ankles couple ribs i've thrown my back out up, up till that point when i was 30 maybe about 30 or 40 times oh wow um i spasmed all the muscles in my neck and went paralyzed for 30 seconds mm-hmm. broken bones good times <laughs> i guess yeah. that's what happens when you fight 
Yeah. Especially for a living. Well, it's not even the fighting. It's the training that does it. I I never really got hurt in a fight unless I was already hurt before the fight. Mm-hmm. Like, I threw my back out in a fight because I threw it out a week before. Oh. Was, uh, when you started at Chuck's gym, was he like Chuck that everybody become to know or was he not there yet? No, no. He was a kickboxer and I think he had his first fight right after, like his first MMA fight. Right after we joined, and then he was just getting momentum right before we went back to the pit. So he wasn't famous yet when we mm-hmm. joined. Okay. So when it came to training, you know, kind of because you kind of, you know, it was like mob mentality. You kind of got pushed into it, which I can relate to as well. Um, did it become in the training more about really being prepared to fight or? Was it just to be better than the next guy? Was it a competition within the gym, or was it really with the focus of getting the fights? Um, for me specifically, I don't know about everyone else, but I didn't want to fight. Even after I fought my first two times, I didn't want to fight again. But it was kind of just expected. If you did jujitsu at that gym, you were going to be a fighter. And even though I didn't want to fight, I was having fun training. So... For me, I was just going in. I was just wanting to get better and telling myself, I'm not going to fight again. (laughs) And then I would. Next time I fought twice in a day again. I won the first one, though, in a 165 and up or 165 and under at 140. Oh, wow. How how long did you fight professionally for? I took a lot of time off. Like I said, from 99 to 2001, I think I fought like 20 some odd times. Let me think. So I came back with five. I have 31. So about 25 times from 99 to 2001. And then I took like eight years off. I, uh, that was, I, my, my heart was broken because they took the 155 pound or 150 pound class out of the UFC. So I kind of just gave up and I just trained and coached. Mm -hmm. But then I came back and fought five times from, I think it was 2009 or 10 till 2011. Wow. That's a lot of fighting and not a long amount of time. Uh, One year I fought nine times. (laughs) But you guys got to understand, like back then it was the Wild West. Mm -hmm. It was like only every other promotion would make you wear gloves. Um there was some promotions, one promotion, the Cobra. I don't know if you guys know who Mark Hall is. Mm-mm. He fought in the UFC, early, early UFCs. Um, he had a promotion called the Cobra Fighting Federation. And I fought for him like five times. And there was only, there was no, lots of times there weren't any weight class restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no gloves. And it was no fish hooking, no eye gouging, and no biting. Everything else was everything else was fine. Yeah, yeah. I've had my head stomped. I've been soccer kicked. Yeah. So I mean, we were fighting a lot back then. Everybody was. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, I think I was fighting more than anybody was back then. Yeah. Because I was always that guy that showed up. Mm-hmm. I didn't show up for me. I showed up because my training partners needed it. I showed up because I wanted to just get in better shape. I showed up. Because the coach expected us to. Mm-hmm. And when the coach expects you to, not everybody adheres to that. They go, ah, well, I'm going to take some time off or I'm going to take this day off and that day off. I just showed up. Yeah. And basically got told what to do and I ended up fighting a lot because of it. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I can, I can see how yeah the training is addicting. I think in any sport, it's just even if you took a break, you can't help but come back to it. It's like... It's addicting. It's 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 the challenge of you challenging yourself and reflecting that among other people too, the people you're training with. You know, you're gonna see yourself take off from them <coughs> or vice versa. If they're taking off from you, you know, like I gotta step my fucking game up, you know. And I can see why you just you if you didn't want to fight, it's just like, well, this this is the way it is. This is what's happening, you know. Well, I've always been big in my life with never letting anything beat me. And I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about things within me like if i'm afraid of something i don't just go okay well eventually i'll get over it or i don't go i don't like it so i'm not gonna i'm not getting into it i i face it head on like i was the weakest link in our group of friends i was the smallest the weakest the 
whatever it is you want to call it, I, I was the weakest link. I always lost in every tournament we had and all the training we did. I was just not as good as anybody else. They were all fighters. And I think because of that, going into it, my mentality was a lot of, I don't want to be who I am. And it wasn't so much who I am, it's who I could have been if I didn't take care of it. You know what I mean? So I always made sure I was the hardest worker in the gym so that I could be the best in the gym. And my, one of my old coaches, Justin Frazier, he, uh, he used to tell me, he beats the crap out of me now. The guy's, at jiu-jitsu, he's just that, he's that much better than I am. He's strong. He was a jiu-jitsu guy and a D1 wrestler and a gymnast. So he was insanely strong. Yeah. And just eventually he got better than me. When he first joined the gym, everybody beat him. And I, I don't remember so many of those days back then. So I don't remember what a lot of this. But the story he told me, he's like, I just came in. And he's one of those alpha mentality guys, like, I'm going to be the best no matter what. So he started, said he started strategically taking out one guy at the gym at a time until he was the best. And he told me, he's like, you were the last one I could get. I just couldn't get you for the longest time. Your style just beat my style every which way. And then eventually he found that way. And uh, that's because I always push myself to be the best the same way, but for different reasons. He wanted it because he just wanted it. I wanted it to know that Fighting would never scare me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and that's what I'm getting at. Like, I wanted to make sure that my weakest points became my strongest points. That, that makes sense because <clears throat> have me having you as a coach, I, I have seen you've carried that onto your coaching style on showing people that they're capable of things they might not think they're capable of. I know there's times where just, I mean, I'm not even training to take a fight or anything and you, you push me to my limit and then some where I think my limit was and you push me past it. And then when it's over, I look back and think, wow, you know, I, I can go farther than I thought I could. And I can, even though I'm tired and want to cry damn near you, you're good at having, having a person kind of push themselves past that point to realize what they're really capable of. And I learned that training under you. I mean, there was multiple times where, Either I was hurting or whatever, and I wanted to just stop. But also, I didn't want to embarrass myself by saying, "No, no, I got to stop. I got to stop." And but then I was glad when the class was over because I was like, "Man, I'm, I'm capable of more than I thought I was." Yeah, and I, I've always been a proponent of the human body. It's it's an amazing mechanism, mm-hmm. and everything I've done. I've like, growing up. I was the weakest link, like I said, and I was the stereotypical nerd trying to break out. I was smart. I got good grades in math and science. I was in the honor classes. I'm obviously not as smart as Kevin over here, but uh, <laughs> like I was that kid. So everything I do, I break it down into the science of things. So and, and saying that, like with what I was saying for the human body, it's an amazing mechanism and the threshold of what you can do is so far beyond what you think. I mean, you hear those miraculous stories of little weak old ladies picking up something that's well beyond Mm. your weight of what you can lift because that adrenaline shot hits them. You know Mm. what I mean? Yeah. Granted, they're probably going to have a broken back and broken arms after because they did it, Mm. but their their barriers, their boundaries, their mind said, no, there, there's no boundaries today. So let's let's just do this. Yeah. And I've learned how to push those boundaries back because I look at the science of it. Um, and I know how to do it in a way that it doesn't push it beyond. Mm-hmm. And it's just simple sciences with math and uh, science that really helps me form the way I teach people. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, depending on the person... I mean, I totally relate to that when I, you know, when I was in like sniper teams at a young age and then in the CrossFit, I have in my mind the right way to do something and every other way is the easy way out that everybody else takes. It's the half-assing it. It's, I'd rather be, oh, I'd rather be in a social environment versus doing it right, which you'll see probably more in CrossFit than you would maybe MMA because I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of MMA coaches are usually like, there's a right way to fucking do something. If you want to do it that way, get out. Stop making excuses. You know, it just means you're getting weak. You're feeling sorry for yourself. You know, there's a white way to do something. If you follow my guidance, trust me, it'll pay in the end. You know, and I, that's the way 
I love doing things, you know. It can be remodeling your bathroom. There's a fucking right way to do it. And if you're not going to do that way, get the hell out of here. You know, don't do it. And uh, We've gone and, over that on the on the studio yeah, we're building right now. On the studio, yeah. There's a, Multiple times. <laughs> right. There's a right way to do it, you know. And, yeah, and some people, I guess, especially maybe over the years now and the generations that are coming up, is they don't have to hear that anymore, you know. Like, they don't have to have that wrestling coach in their face telling them, you know, you're fucking wrong. And give them that humility. And I was, you know what? You're right. Because I don't want to have to hear from your parents later bitching me out for telling you what to do. And so where where is this mentality going? And then you hear like Tim Kennedy on Jorgen's podcast. Like, hey, the Army's having a hard time getting people anymore. Because all the kids just want to give up. And they want the easy way out. They want to play video games all day. It's like I think as a culture, we're going away from being ass kickers. And just kind of being okay with mediocrity. You know? Yeah. And... And that's where the gym is important because you're not going to give anybody mediocrity. You don't expect it from them either. You know? Well, I mean, like right out the gates, like, and with the adults, I act a little bit different. I let them do it their way. They're already, they either want to learn it, they're there because they want to learn and they're going to do it my way or they don't and they'll end up quitting after a month anyways. Mm-hmm. So I just let them do it their way and it usually ends up one of those two options. But with the kids, I talk to them a different way. I tell them certain things. Like one thing I say that I'm a very, very big on is don't be the second one to punch. Be the first to punch. Don't punch them if they're not trying to attack you. But if you if you feel threatened and you're about to get hurt, hit them before they hit you. And I tell all the kids in our gym this because, I mean, if they some even if some kid just pushes them over, they hit their head on a rock. What can happen? Any number of things. Anywhere from a minor injury to death. Just hitting their head on a rock or on the sidewalk because they got tripped, pushed. Yeah. So, and I have the speech with all the new kids that come in. Tell them, someone is about to attack you, hit them as hard as you can, as many times as you can until they stop. And I make sure the parents all hear exactly what I'm saying and they're at the end of every class. So, how do you feel about what I told them? Not, not waiting to get punched first. And I have yet to have someone tell me they didn't like it. Everyone's like, oh, no, that makes perfect sense. But if someone tells me they don't like it, I'm going to tell them, well, that's how we do things. That's how I'm going to train them. That's what I'm going to teach them. If you don't want them learning that, this is not the gym for them. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, adults are already set in their ways. Kids are very impressionable, and they need to be taught the right path of doing things. Keep yourself safe. Do things right. If you do them this way, you may get in trouble, but you'll at least be alive and not injured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, but, I wanted to go back to some you said being a nerd. So that's something anytime I'm telling anybody about my jujitsu coach, I always tell him, I'm like, he looks like a fighter. He's a rough looking dude. Cauliflower ears. He's the biggest nerd you'll ever meet and the sweetest guy you'll ever meet, which I think when people first meet you, just by judging a book by its cover, they think, Oh man, he's going to be, you know, tough and mean and you're not that. I mean, you are when you need to be, but you're like a sweet dude. You always have been to me and my family and everybody I've seen you interact with. And I, that's something you've kind of taught me because I think people who aren't involved in the world of MMA or jujitsu or anything, they think fighters are a bunch of cavemen who are out there to kill each other. And I'm sure there are some of those, but you and other people I've met in that world, that's not usually how it is. I mean, you would know better than me because you came up in it, but it seems like... It's about 10% that are cavemen. I'm not going to name names, cause, but I've had run-ins with guys that are just not good people from the MMA scene. And I'm, I'm talking like high-level famous guys. But like I said, I'm not going to name names. But... 90% of them are good people. you got to understand, like, we're doing one of the most primal things you can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go back to caveman days, you have a bone with some meat on it. I haven't eaten in a week and I can beat you up. That's not your bone with meat on it. It's mm-hmm. mine, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's as primal as it gets. You want, you have something I want or you're in the way of something I want. Mm-hmm. I beat you up and I take it or whatever the case may be, right? So being able to get that primal nature out, and I'm not saying this for guys. This is men and women, mm-hmm. both you get that primal nature out there and you're able to express it in a way that's safe relatively, um, it, it just makes for a much more patient, calm person. 
because they don't have that built up pin, uh, tension in their body that makes them snap or whatever it is that's happening. And it, it's not even necessarily MMA or fighting or any combat sport isn't even necessarily the way. Like some people have different ways of expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. You know what? Their art may get their anger, their angst and everything out, whatever uh, it's going on in their mind. And that may be their way. Everyone needs that in some way, fashion or form. But I think MMA just does it better, not MMA, combat sports does it better because it is one of the most primal base natures there is in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, nobody is, I mean, with exceptions, small exceptions, but as human beings, we are physiologically made up to do manual labor and work. And our mind is wired with that and it needs to do work. It needs to fight. It needs to, you know, <laughs> it, needs, it, needs to, yeah, it needs to fight. It needs to fuck. And it needs to build things. And if we're not doing those, then next year we need to run meds. You know, like how many people are on medications for? I mean, granted, there's people who have legitimate imbalances in their brains. It could be from injuries and you know whatever else. But the average person who doesn't have a lot of head injuries that's having these symptoms, it's probably because you need to go fight somebody or get your ass doing some manual labor for a while, get outside, get some sun, just work out in general. Work out, jeez, yeah, the just bare bones workout. Go pick some shit up, you know. Yeah, you got to do something. We're wired for it. I mean, how, you know, people have been fighting for a sport for thousands of years. It's been recorded. You know, people are building the pyramids and then having some relaxing time watching dudes fucking fight each other. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, so, yeah, you need it. You have to do it. You have to do something. Like with what I was saying earlier, it goes back further than that. I'm hungry. There's an animal over there. I got to kill it. That takes physical effort. Yeah. So it's it it just goes back so far, basically back to our creation. Well, I've heard people describe it as like a pressure release system, like going in and putting in the hard work, whether it's at your job or a workout or a jujitsu class. I know me every every morning I do a jujitsu class. I feel so good the rest of the day. I don't get road rage, and I'm a driver for a living, so that happens. But when I do a jujitsu class, I, I feel like I got all my angst and anger and everything out in the morning. And yeah, you're, I'm rolling with people I like, but I'm still angry during it because if I'm getting my ass kicked, I'm not happy about it, you know, and I'm, I'm releasing that as it goes on. And even if I do lose, I feel so much better afterwards the rest of the day. And I'm, yeah, my body's sore and I'm tired, but mentally, I, it's like a release to just do something hard. You know what I mean? Well, it, it takes care of two things, basically. The, what you're talking about gets rid of that angst and anger and tension, whatever it is. But also, like you said, you're tired. You get to the point where you work out in the morning and it's a hard workout the rest of the day. You don't have you don't have the energy to deal with the bullshit. Like, I don't even care. I'm just going to mm-hmm. go. Yeah. 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 And it's your serotonin release. Your free testosterone is has gone up. And that's the thing. People maybe – you know, your average person to understand is when your testosterone is at a higher level, you're less likely to go crazy on somebody or in your family. You know, yeah, there may be roid rage at high levels of testosterone when you don't need it. But when your testosterone levels are a little down, that's when you're going to be like, you know, these kids need to get off my lawn while they're under skateboards. You know, that's all. That's all. That is a sign of aging that's a sign of lower testosterone that's a sign of less resiliency mm-hmm. but if you're working out you're rolling you're increasing your free your free testosterone your resiliency has gone up meaning you're less irritable you're more calm you know mm-hmm. um so yeah increase your testosterone and start feeling better you know yeah yeah see i work it out seven to ten times a week that's why i'm always calm jay yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, that's always amazed me about you from even before i started training there was when my kids were there I remember at that time you were running to the gym and then you're doing a workout at the gym. And I was thinking, something's wrong with this guy. <laughs> I, let, let me be clear though. I didn't run to the gym for very long. I was just testing out to see how it worked. I'm just, I'm too lazy for that. I already got seven to 10 workouts a week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you do, you work out all day, damn near every day, which I don't know. That's, I respect it. But, uh, no, I want to go, go back and talk about, when did you realize it was time to step away from fighting? It was no one single moment. I just didn't get another fight. Mm-hmm. I, I told you I came back and let me preface this though. 
when I first started fighting, the 25 some odd fights that I had before I took that eight year sabbatical, every single fight, well, I was deathly afraid. Like, I don't know how many times I contemplated and tried to figure out who and how I could steal their keys and drive home. I was scared. I was deathly afraid every single one. When I came back after that eight-year sabbatical, I realized I didn't get scared anymore. And it took me five fights, I think, or maybe I, I don't really remember. This is, what, 10 years ago? But it took me a few fights, and I, under, I finally figured out why. I didn't care that much anymore. I didn't want to lose back then. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to lose this time, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't, I have to absolutely win no matter what it takes. And I would go in, I'd fight, and like, honestly, I wouldn't wake up. There was one one fight. I fought this guy, Gigo Jara, and he, he's a great fighter. He, he was good. And I just... I, I can take a, a shot. I can get hit really hard. I have a really thick skull. Okay. And he was hitting me and he was hitting me hard, but it never really did anything to me. So I was kind of just like, well, all right, I'll just keep going. They're around. He caught me with something and the light switch went on. Light switch turned on and then it was a war. And then it was already too late. And by the time the round ended, I got him, I slammed him on the ground, dislocated his shoulder, and he lasted the last 20 seconds, and he beat me by decision. And rightfully so. The guy touched me more than I touched him. Mm-hmm. Um, we did maybe about the same damage, because um, I, I don't even know. I don't, I don't, I'm not even going to talk about the damage, besides, minus the shoulder thing. Um, but I just... Realized that going into it, I didn't care until he woke me up. And then it was time to go and it was already too late. And so after a few of those, well, I had a couple fights, two fights. And I think that's about when I figured it out. But then my uh, coach, Scott Adams, the guy that started WC, he started a, a different promotion, Fight for Wrestling. It was a wrestling MMA promotion to help save. I don't know if you guys remember when the colleges were starting to drop the wrestling programs. Yeah. They did in Baker, Fresno in uh, Bakersfield and they were thinking about it in San Luis, but we we're helping out the local California colleges. And uh, so he started the fight for wrestling uh, promotion and I fought for him on three of those to basically help out. And uh, after that, I just, I don't know. I just didn't fight again. I wasn't really interested. I mean, I had a coach at that point. Like, it's weird. In the beginning, like, I had a couple coaches, but they didn't really, like, Chuck was doing his thing trying to become a fighter or a famous fighter, rise the ranks or whatever. Scott was doing his own thing, even though he's teaching jujitsu here and there. And after about a year, I was the jujitsu coach. I've had a year of jujitsu instruction, and now I'm the coach. And then we get guys coming through that are, good tim kennedy jake shields uh glover came through and they'd help out and they'd teach when they were good it was kind of like a a round robin type thing i guess and um so i didn't really have a coach back then until we joined the pit and then john that's that i didn't really start striking until i we started with john and I got so much better and I was a lot better and it just, the fire wasn't there or oh, I don't even, I don't even know if it was the fire cause I never even liked fighting, yeah. but I just kept doing it and all of a sudden I wasn't doing it. And after you were done, was it transitioned straight from fighting to coach or was there an in between there? Or? Like I said, I was after one year, I was a coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when I started coaching. And from there on out, I was always training someone, coaching someone. Yeah. And uh, one of my guys, Antonio, uh, Antonio Benuelos, he fought in the UFC once and in the WC. And he fought over in Dream in Japan. Um, I was one of his coaches. Uh, it was me, Chuck, and John. But John took care of his striking. Chuck was more like a mentor for most of us. So it was having him in our corner. Even though he wasn't really training us that much, he was making sure we were getting the training. Like, he used to take me to this place or that place. Like, with John Lewis, BJ Penn, Frank Shamrock, he took me all over the place. So, he was more like a mentor getting us to different places to try different things out. Whereas John was training Antonio striking, and I was a jiu-jitsu guy. 
So I was doing the jiu-jitsu until Justin Frazier, who I talked about earlier, became the jiu-jitsu coach. And then because the two, Justin and John, didn't have the opposite side, I brought everything together. So I was his all-around coach. But we got him up to like third in the world back in 2001. And that was after training him for about a year. You know what I mean? So at that point is when I started coaching people. And that during that eight years that I took off, I was purely a coach and a training partner. So that basically, what what was, uh, I guess, like the final decision in transitioning from coaching in California to coaching in Boise? Well, aside from the people that I already know and love in either spot, because, I mean, if I know them and I love them, there's a reason for that. It's because they came in, they did the, what they were supposed to and vice versa and all that. But the difference that I've noticed, I get a lot less people in Idaho trying trying to be famous and get free stuff for using my gym name and promoting it, okay. I guess. There's a lot more prima donnas in California. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've had about three or four people since I've been open here, along with other situations that are similar to it, but not like this, not exactly like this, but three or four people come in, hey, I want to fight for you. Uh, okay. We don't really have a fight team right now. We have we can do training. If you end up fighting, uh, we can deal with that down the road. Well, I mean, I, I, I want to start fighting like right away. Uh, well, that's not how we do things. Like, but okay, well, if I do join you, how, what's it going to cost? Well, it's X Y Z. Oh well, I was hoping like I could be out there fighting and I could I could have your your gym on the back of my shirt and I could help make you guys famous, get you members and stuff like that, just for free training. Mm, no, they might do that at a gym down the road though. So go check them out. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it didn't, doesn't happen nearly as much as it did in California. Because okay. for a while, I mean, even still, it's kind of, California is like a mecca for MMA. So everyone goes to California for MMA. I mean, it's starting to spread out more and more now. Like you got Jackson, Winkle, John, and was it Texas? Uh, New Mexico. New Mexico. Um, there's good gyms in Vegas. There's there's good gyms everywhere now. But at the time when it was real prevalent there, it was California. Wow. Okay. And there wasn't that many back then world-famous MMA gyms. I mean, the pit, that's one of the biggest names ever, in my opinion. I mean, I've... Everybody, I mean, everybody. You can name all of them on one hand. Basically, you got American Top Team, mm-hmm. which is a shoot off from Brazilian Top Team. Mm-hmm. You got Shoot the Box. You got the Pit. Um, and I'm talking back then. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's two over in Europe that I can't think of their names right now. The one Boss Rutten was part of, and then the oh, Scott. One of our guys, Scott Lighty, went over to Norway to train with. Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but they had a lot of K1 kickboxers there. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And he went and trained kickboxing over there with them for a couple of years. But yeah, you can name on one hand how the gyms that came from or that, that were around that were world famous at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And some of them probably aren't even around anymore, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, uh, the other one with Matt Hughes and Pat Militich mm-hmm. and all those guys. Uh, that one was pretty big too. Yeah. It seems like the pit has even today is a pretty well-known I mean, there's still guys in UFC fighting. Yeah. There's, there's not many that are left from that time. Like Mm -hmm. I said, American top teams, one of them, Mm um, you don't even really see shoot box anymore. Like with Vanderlei Silva and who else is there? I don't know. A few other Brazilians, but, uh, I think Anderson Silva was part of them, but like you got American top team, you got the pit Glover and quarter still fighting. Ramsey still fighting. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of them are like new now. Like, and I'm, when I think old, I'm thinking pre like uh, Team Alpha male. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. I'm talking to me. Like most fight fans, Alpha male is an old school team. To me, I predate them, so yeah. they're not old old school to yeah. me yet. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think there was as many fans of MMA back then. There's more today than ever. Oh yeah. It's become mainstream now, and it never was before. And I, I think it's kind of cool to see that. It's my the, favorite thing to watch. The one thing that I do miss about the old days, though, that they've all but gotten rid of, and they're trying to get rid of the last little bits here and there, is it used to be fighters that were trying to be athletes. 
and it's turning more into athletes trying to be fighters now. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. There's a couple still left. Um, I mean, guys like Cowboy. I mean, even him, to me, he's not really old school because he started after yeah. I did. Yeah. But um, I kind of consider him old school. Oh, man, he's one of, he's one of my favorite fighters. Mm-hmm. But he's a fighter who became an athlete. Mm-hmm. And guys like GSP turned that changed turned that corner and changed it for everybody. And I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not as fun to watch. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It makes sense. Um, not that GSP is not fun to watch, but he turned the corner for everyone to become athletes first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And you get, I mean, a couple others that are left, like Nick and Nate Diaz. They're fighters that became athletes. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? So, and that's that's how it was back in my day. It was, well, you're a fighter. Let's see how good a shape you're in. And that's the one thing I do miss about it. But it, honestly, it, it's gone the way it should have to make the sport bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting who's coming in now and kind of how quickly people are coming in and doing well. You know, uh, what were the guys name that fought John Jones, the football player? Oh, Reyes. Reyes. Yeah, Reyes. Yeah. I, even training for what a couple of years and just comes in just like that, you know. Seen a lot of those lately. Guys are just, you know, um, what's his name was like that too. The guy who does his podcast, the the dude I really don't like. Where always wears like girly shoes and stuff. I have no idea. Okay, the podcast, the fighter and the kid guy. Oh, uh, Brandon Chop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's not. He's a he, like I said. He's an athlete. He's not a fighter. He he walks around like nine hundred dollars shoes. Like, you know, I don't know. It just it's different kind of mentality. I'd rather go out in a gunfight with, you know, an M sixteen and bare bones, bare minimum what I need to do to be kicking ass, than have all the best latest gear and not have good fundamentals. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of I feel like, yeah. So, um, what is your favorite? thing about being a coach there actually do you prefer being a coach than you did being a fighter you know that's hard to it's that's hard to answer i mean do you prefer wearing shorts in the summer or do you prefer wearing pants in the winter mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying it's it's two different things it's hard to really compare for me because on one end there's no better feeling than having your hand raised in front of 5,000 people. Sorry, small crowds for me. (laughs) But on the other hand, when you're standing there in the cage with someone, one of your favorite people in the world, watching them get their hand raised, it's like comparing apples to oranges. Like, how can I say this is my favorite moment when I help create this moment too that could possibly be bigger? Because, I mean, if you think about it, if you're walking down the street and someone says they're going to punch you in the face, but you're not worried about it, what do you usually do? Yeah, whatever. Okay, blah, blah, blah. You walk away. Got one of your favorite people with you. Same thing happens, but they say it to them. What are you going to do? You're probably going to punch them in the face, right? Because you care more about them than you really do about yourself. So I don't really have a good answer for that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because... I mean, that adrenaline rush. Like I, I, I've done a lot of stupid stuff in my life that give me adrenaline rushes, jumping out of planes, lots of different other extracurricular things. Um, but uh, there's no feeling like having your hand raised after just beating someone up. Mm-hmm. Like the hairs on my arms are standing up right now just thinking about it, and I haven't had that feeling in 10 years. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I can't really compare the two. I just, they're both just so good. It's, it's not so much about the process. It's more about the outcome mm-hmm. when you talk about it like that. And both outcomes are just completely different, but yeah. exactly the same, I guess. And right. I just can't compare them. I mean, you, I imagine it feels good to somebody you've trained to watch them succeed. I would imagine that's a pretty good feeling as well. It, oh, it is. It absolutely yeah. is. And that's why it's hard to compare because mm-hmm. it's one's not higher than the other. And having that, having this with thousands of people screaming your name is insane. Mm-hmm. And I 
can't really say it's better than having that happen to someone that you're that close to, someone you've bled with, sweat with, cried with. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I've always, I, I, for, without being too uh, cliche, I've always been a protector. So it's, nothing's ever really been about me. And, it, and it's, I'm not saying I didn't do stuff for myself. I didn't do stuff that I wanted for myself or get stuff for myself. But it's always been more important to make sure the people that I know and love have what they need before I need. You know what I mean? And I think that's why I feel that way. Because let's just take a a base example, money. If I have $100 that I don't have to worry about, guess what? All three of us right here, we have $100. Let's go do something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's how I've always been with everything. So That, That would make sense as to why you've become such a good coach. Because you're pretty selfless. I mean, I've experienced it firsthand with you, and I've seen it with you with other people. It's kind of a cool thing. I've, I've seen it with Kevin, too, back when Kevin was coaching CrossFit. Kind of the same mentality. You were all about the people you were coaching more than yeah. yourself. No, I – yeah, some of them didn't get it at the time. There's some people that are not easy to get through to. And you've seen that, obviously, coaching people. Some people have their walls up, and you just got to try to break them down, you know, um, yeah, there's a point where at first, even though you're being like the, you may be kind of a hard ass, right? And people, once the people get through that, they're like, oh, this is why he's doing it. And I really respect the shit out of him. You know, why was I charging $85 a month for giving a premium product? Because I honestly gave a shit about getting people in there that couldn't afford it. Like that was, that was it. Like I honestly cared. It wasn't any fucking marketing scheme or anything else. It's like, yeah, I could be charging 125 a month, 130 a month. But I really want people in here that can't afford it any other way. And the, and the other people that could afford it and then some always give back because they respected the gym. Hey, do you want equipment? Hey, do you want this? Do you want help with that? They'll always give it back to you. Mm-hmm. You know, so by doing the right thing first, it'll always come back around. You know, whether it's good training or good product. The one, you know. the one thing I do have to say, like, is say prices. I'm not, I'm not going to throw numbers out, but let's talk about prices. Like, for... For forever, I was like that. Um, I always undercut everything I did and just made it just so everybody could get in there. And uh, I was reminded by a buddy of mine, another pit black belt, Eric Schwartz, one of my be- absolute best friends. Okay, like just one of my really, really good friends. Um, I was always under the mindset of if my friends need me, no matter what it is, I'll be there. And I. We were talking one day and I made, I, t- I said the phrase like, Hey, if you, if, and we were talking about Chuck, actually. He's like, he said something. And I was like, Well, honestly, if Chuck needed me right now, if he needed me to bring a, a shovel in and some plastic bags, I'd show up without question. And I had kids at this point. And he's like, You know what? I love Chuck. I love, I absolutely love him. They got their black belts together. They wrestled together. They were better friends than me and Chuck ever were. He's like, I love Chuck, but you got to understand. What happens if you get caught? Well, I guess I go to jail and now your kids don't have a father. So I had to start thinking more along the lines. Now that I'm me specifically, I'm not saying everybody like, uh, I had to start thinking more about my kids. Well, we got all these people making a living doing what I'm doing. And if I'm not charging enough to make a living for my kids, I have to do something else, which takes more time away from my kids and it just spirals into a big thing. And that's why I've actually, I've, ha- I ha- I've raised my prices since I've been here so that I could start turning it into an actual job. Because the one thing I have noticed, because we get a lot of people trying to talk us down in prices and it sucks to not let those, like something, there's people that can't join. Obviously they don't have the money and I feel bad, but on the other hand, Anytime I've given anything away, and I used to offer a lot of sponsorships, like, hey, you want to come clean the gym? You can train for free as much as you want. You can do this with with kids, adults, anybody. And the thing I've noticed, the more you give away, the less they respect it. And that's that's, it's not like that with everyone. It absolutely isn't. But from what I've seen over the course of the last, I was a coach from 
early, but I didn't start managing the gym till like 2008 or nine. But that's what I've noticed since then is the more you give it away, the less people respect it because, well, now I'm not on the hook for anything. So I can just show up when I want to show up. So they stop showing up to the cleanings. They stop doing the extra work they're supposed to be doing because, well, I just didn't want to come in today. No, 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 no. Every month you have a very set amount of stuff you can do and it's unlimited to you. Just because you don't want to show up that day, we're on a schedule, doesn't mean you don't you do not do your part because that's what I'm giving. And that's the one reason. It's, it still breaks my heart sometimes when I get people that obviously can't pay. But I can't give everything away to everyone for free. Otherwise, my kids don't eat. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've had that same thing where the people that you give breaks to didn't show up. And you pull them aside like, hey, what's going on? You know, try to talk to them about it. And it's just, you know, it's always one excuse and it's the next thing. It's like, you know what, really it is. We just, you really, you just take it for granted. They don't you value know, it. They don't value it. And, um, and then some people are like, hey, about like, how about like 60, how about 65 a month? Like, nah, dude. And then they'll turn, they'll walk away for that. And then next time you see them, you see them downtown at a restaurant, fuck, eating out for like $200. It's like Just you can afford it. Throwing that money, making it rain, right? Yeah. What do you value more? You know, getting into a gym and getting in shape or going down and drinking at a bar and eating pizza? Clearly, you value that more, which means you don't value your health. So get your priorities straight first and then come yeah. back to me. You know? and, that, and that's why, and I've, that's another thing I've noticed. Like, and I'm, I don't have exorbitant price, prices. It, they're not out of this world. No, they're no. about normal for the area. Um, but when people are paying for the the higher level programs like our Kempo or BJJ program, like they're more into it because they know well, I'm paying all this money. I better make sure I show up. So they show up more. When they show up more, they want to show up even more. Then they're happy that they're there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it just makes things so much easier because you're working with people that you know legitimately want to be there. That's why I don't have contracts either, though. So yeah. if they can just cancel if they don't want to be there and I get rid of the negativity if they're not happy there. Right. I was going to say that same thing you just said is <clears throat> the higher price, having to charge that sucks, having to pay that sucks. But me, if I'm having to pay a lot of money for something, I'm going to show up. I, I don't want to be paying for not going. That's So I think you you get higher quality of people. Exactly. That are going to come. And I mean, yeah, you, you gave breaks to people in the past and you've probably retained some of those people, I would imagine. We don't have anybody I've given breaks to. Really? Uh, since I've been here, huh? Because I, I don't know, I would think that maybe you, like you guys said, that they don't value it. But uh, A couple of them, they're, it, it, that's not what it was. Um, they had to do this or that or they just couldn't make it work their schedule. Some of them were actually good people that are there trying hard it just it wasn't their lifestyle anymore they didn't they either didn't want to do it or the kid didn't want to do it or but uh it wasn't just because they wanted to come on their schedule most of them i didn't have to say hey we can't do this anymore most of them just they wanted to quit the training also on top of it. Or mm-hmm. not necessarily wanted to quit the training but they just couldn't make the training work either so okay yeah i charged you full price yeah <laughs> when i was going to your crossfit gym yeah and we've been friends since we were little kids but I also showed up because oh, I was paying that much. That's yeah. that's the one thing that really really gets me is the friend thing. I oh man, I, anytime I go anywhere where I have friends, if I'm giving some, given something for free, I tip at at minimum cost, mm-hmm. like what it should cost, and usually then some because if I if I don't know you. And I'm, I'm good friends with him over here. You both do the same thing. He lives out of state right now. It's not here. You don't. All right, I'm going to go to your gym, pay you 100 bucks a month to do CrossFit with you, right? Jake moves into town, goes, hey, I'm starting my CrossFit gym. And you're just the owner. You happen to be an owner of the CrossFit gym that I go to. I don't know you that well. Mm-hmm. Well, I go to him, I'm like, hey, dude, hook me up. Let me, let me work out there so I don't have to pay, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't know where the mentality comes from where people go, I'm willing to give a stranger $100 a month to train at their gym, but I'm not willing to give one of my best friends even half that mm-hmm. because they should give it to me for free. 
And that's bullshit. I mean, I, you should be paying your friend more. Agreed. And that, that's why I had no problem paying when I was going to his gym. We've been friends. Anything I could do to help him out, I was all for it. But yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I wasn't implying that any of no, this I know, like I that. I was. I, okay. I, I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing with yeah. you. Like, doesn't make sense to have that mentality on it. No, no, never short, never shortchange yourself. You know, um, when you have quality product. You know, I've been to gyms before where you, a lot of the people were like friends of the owner or other weird things like that, and it's a different vibe you have in there. The people in that gym are undisciplined. They're not, I mean, when in their movement patterns, not in terribly great shape. It's like, huh, weird. So you're here at a discounted price and nobody's getting anywhere. Like weird, you know, that's a, you can, you know, it says a lot more than that. It says something about the person as well. That kind of person who's going to shortchange someone because they don't know them at the gym. It's also the kind of person who's not putting effort into it. Yep. You're, you're lacking other ways. You walk out of the parking lot and their fucking vehicle's dirty. Wow. Let's go to your house. Let's go look at your house. So <laughs> I guarantee you everything about your life Shortchange is, everything. is half-assed. Yep. Nothing mm-hmm. is full-assed, right? Um, that's not a real word. <laughs> <laughs> it works. So, <laughs> so we're coming up on an hour, and that's about the time we're trying to keep these. I'm trying to make this a thing, but the first episode did not work out very well. But I want to ask a few rapid-fire questions. Okay. On the first episode, they weren't so rapid fire and it didn't work out. So I think I got some better ones this time. And there's not very many of them, but we'll just play it by ear and see I'll how it goes. I'll do my best. Keep it short. So last meal. If you had to pick one, what would it be? Oh, absolutely. Lasagna. Ooh. Good choice. Yeah. Good choice. It's got to be hearty though. Hearty lasagna. Yeah. Lasagna. What's your favorite city you've ever been to that you do not currently live in or have ever lived in? Ooh, man. I don't remember this city. But it was somewhere in Japan. Good enough. <laughs> um, what's your favorite beverage? Oh, man. I'm going to get so much shit for this. Uh, a Fruit Punch Rockstar. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nice. If you had to pick one superpower, what would it be? Oh, man. Invisibility. Easy. I want to ask you the same question, Kevin. Superpower. Um, man. Probably invisibility. It would be a total perv. I'd go with mind reading. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't thinking oh. about that. <laughs> I, I'd go with mind reading. I'm an introvert. Um, Invisibility. Oh, yeah. Actually, you'd be a good person to ask this question. I did ask this in the last podcast. He he didn't have an answer. If you had to pick one fictional character to beat up, who would it be? Do they got to be fictional? <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what the guy in the first episode said too. Um, one fictional person to beat up. Ooh. Don't remember the name, but the yellow guy in Sin City. I don't remember his name either. He's a nasty, yeah. But that is a, a good he's one. He's a pedophile. That is yeah. a good one. He's yep. a gross, deviant pedophile that I wouldn't stop beating. Yeah, that's... I like that one. And I figured that was a good question for you because you could actually probably beat most of them up. And then the last one is not so rapid fire, but I think it's a good question. What's one thing about you that you want your children to take after? Oh, man, there's so many. I want them to have a good heart. That's very important. And then what's one thing about you you would not want them to take after? Not a lot of people know this about me. Some do because they've been on the bad side of it. But I'm, I'm, I can be a little manipulative. That's, yeah. I don't know. I don't think that's always a bad thing. Sometimes it's needed. <sighs> Yeah, but it, get, it gets out of hand real quick. Yeah, makes sense. I haven't been like that in so many years because of Sophie. She's she's made me want to be a better person, but mm-hmm. I was I was bad. I don't I wouldn't wish that on either of my kids because that that can make you not a good person real quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, and that's proof that people can change if they put the work in. Like you said, it used to be a problem; it's not now. And having somebody in your corner like Sophie. To help you put that work in. It's That's not important. so much if they can change as whether or not they want to. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So last thing, uh, I guess, tell everybody about your gym, what it is you do there. Um, and yeah, go for it. For yours. Um, well, basically at the pit, we take regular everyday people and turn them into someone that people don't want to mess with. They... 
just get that toughness from kickboxing, jujitsu, wrestling, um, basically all the com- the main combat sports that people can think of, and they try to become better, whether it's getting in shape, uh, self-defense, learning a new hobby, or making friends. But it comes down to the self-defense aspect and being someone that doesn't get bullied. Perfect. Totally. All right. Well, I think we did it. Heck yeah. Do you have anything else, Kevin? No, no. All right. Anything else? No, I'm good. Uh, Thanks, guys, for having me on. This is a blast. I appreciate you you. coming on. You've you've been kind of a mentor in my life, so I'm happy to have you on. And I told you as I was going to start this that I remember one time you told me, if you want to do something, then go for it. Just do it. And that's a big reason why I went all in on this. So You don't need a lot of money to start something out of your garage. That's a fact. No way. That's how I started the gym here. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess everybody be nice to people out there. That's all I have to say. Yeah, you never know if they go to my gym or not. Yeah. (laughs) Truth.